are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Ezekiel chapter 18. And Greg, thank you for reading for us. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear you, Israelites, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? If a righteous person turns from their righteousness and commits sin, they will die for it. Because of the sin they have committed, they will die. But if a wicked person turns away from the wickedness they have committed and does what is just and right, they will save their life. Because they consider all the offenses they have committed and turn away from them, that person will surely live. They will not die. Yet the Israelites say, The way of the Lord is not just. Are my ways unjust, people of Israel? Is it not your ways that are unjust? Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Well, week number two, here we go in our series in the book of Ezekiel. We want to begin by just noticing in this book of the Bible, it's not surprising that we would start here with this theme of repentance pretty early on in the book of Ezekiel. What it means that you and I do get off track, have been lost, and need to turn back around. It's not as easy anymore to do this, I don't think, to actually get lost somewhere because we have such wonderful technology around us in the digital age with GPS and navigation systems either on your phone or built right into your car. It just doesn't happen the way that it used to. And I find as nice as it is to have those helps along the way, I do kind of miss the days where it was just you, the map, and the open road. And I'm just old enough to remember the days before digital navigation. There was the in-between time where we would use things like MapQuest and you'd go online and you'd type in where you were going to go, print out directions, and we'd carry them around with us in the car. But even before that, before the internet age, it was just us and a map. A map in the glove box or the big Rand McNally that you would use on a big road trip. And I miss those days. I once had a trip with a couple of buddies where we drove from Los Angeles down to the tip of the Baja Peninsula, which is 1,200 miles one way. We were on a surf trip together in college with nothing but a paper map and packs of gum, which we used to bribe the federales at the checkpoints. (laughs) Those were the days. As I think back on this, I do know there are times in my life where I have been lost off the map, even now, even these days, and had to turn back around. And that's what today's passage in Ezekiel is about. We started this series last week acknowledging Ezekiel can seem like a rather difficult book, a big book of the Bible that is somewhat obscure and not so well known. And yet our aim is very simple as we study these chapters these weeks. And that is to learn how God strengthens us. 
We introduced last week the meaning of Ezekiel's name. In Hebrew, his name means God will strengthen. And so we're asking ourselves these days, how does he do that? Maybe you feel a a bit weary, in need of strengthening. And how does God reveal these kinds of strengthening principles in his word? Those are the things, the questions before us. And as we come to chapter 18, we find this principle arriving, yes, early in our study, that one of the ways God strengthens us is by repentance. Now, repentance is not high on the popularity list. It's not very high at all. And if you're wondering what repentance even is, because it's not a word we run into a whole lot, it's going to be defined for us in detail in this very passage. And yet here at the outset, let's give it some brief definition. Repentance is to own up to and to turn away from my sin. From the stuff in my life that is messy and that keeps me away from God. And to say that I've gotten off track, that I'm lost and I need help, is not an easy thing to do. But it is necessary if you want to be strengthened by God. In the course of the book of Ezekiel, it's not surprising to see repentance show up here in chapter 18 and throughout the book. We talked last week about how we have this sort of dual narrative of judgment and hope in Ezekiel, and you can't get to the hope and restoration of the later chapters without dealing with repentance first. And yet even here, even in the words Greg read for us, repentance is linked to good news. So today's message is not just about averting judgment, it is about receiving life. And so let's take a look together, if you have those words in front of you. Since we're just getting familiar with Ezekiel, having started last week, let's remind ourselves of some of the details and context of the story. Ezekiel, we said last week, is 30 years old at the start of this book. He is a prophet and priest The first of those is a specific ministry assignment, if you will. The second means it's his job to be a priest. That was his vocational career. Ezekiel, thirdly, was with the exiles in Babylon. And this is the time period of Israel's greatest disaster. That is when the Babylonians had captured Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, and they deported 10,000 of the leading citizens, and Ezekiel was one of them. That means Ezekiel, as he carries out ministry and lives out his life, he's unique in that all the days of his life were lived in exile, a thousand miles away from home. He's there, camped out on the shores of the Kedar River. This is in modern-day Iraq, where Ezekiel lived out God's calling. In the big picture, we summed it up last week by pointing out Ezekiel was ultimately rejected by man. He was not somebody the people wanted to listen to. But he was faithful to God. So you can see this tension in the opening of our reading. We're going to walk through this passage and see this conversation that carries out. I don't think it's likely that Ezekiel would have made it through his message without some heckling from those who were listening to him. Some heated debate, some interruptions. Technically this kind of writing is called a disputation. And that is the argument that the people are having with God. Ezekiel begins by quoting the people in verse 25. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. What are they saying? I hear this in my house sometimes. It's unfair. You're being unfair. 
They're saying God has left us out to dry in Babylon. We're here a thousand miles away from home. God is not just. And then God responds, Hear you Israelites, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? God says, Israelites, my people, you've got this backwards. My ways are always just and true. Then he points to the immutable moral laws that he has woven into the fabric of creation that each person is responsible for our own choices. So watch where he goes, verse 26 and 27. If a righteous person turns from their righteousness, righteousness is a big Bible word, it just means simply doing what is right. If they turn from their righteousness and commit sin, they will die for it. Because of the sin they've committed, they will die. Here's the contrast. But if a wicked person turns away from the wickedness they have committed and does what is just and right, they will save their life. God's saying the righteous can choose to walk away. Just because you were born an Israelite, you've got the bloodline, or you were born into a Christian family, or you started out on a good path with good intentions, it doesn't mean that you will stay there. You don't just go on autopilot. But you have to choose to follow the Lord. And on the other hand, Ezekiel saying, the person who is lost and far from God can turn back at any time and be saved. And that, by the way, is the background to cold case Christianity, which we're going to do as a church-wide study in our Y groups. J. Warner Wallace was a homicide detective in Southern California He was an avowed atheist. He's one of those guys who would just look to pick a fight at work to try to debunk the Christian faith of a colleague. And some of us have friends like that or family members or at university. This was J. Warner Wallace. And then somebody told him one day that Jesus Christ was the smartest man who ever lived. Well, you tell a detective something like that, he's going to look into it. So J. Warner Wallace picked up the Bible, turned to the Gospels, and decided to test that claim. And he found the evidence so compelling that at the age of 35, he realized he was lost and turned back around. Verse 28 reiterates that example. Because they consider all the offenses they have committed and turn away from them, that person will surely live. They will not die. A homicide detective, of course, is very familiar with death. But now, J. Warner Wallace had found life. And I hope that you join a Y group. It's an eight-week season, so it is a doable yes, a doable time commitment. Whether you're a committed Christian, if you would consider yourself committed in years of following Christ, or maybe you're here and you're on the fringes, you got a lot of questions, might be doubtful, Or maybe you think of a friend who is very skeptical about anything to do with Christ. This would be a great invitation. Sign up at the connections table or if you're with us via live stream, just email info at thewhychurch.org and those will start up soon. End of January and February is when we'll get going. But these are principles of how God strengthens us. He strengthens the one who turns back to him. And the person who says, essentially, I cannot strengthen myself, nor is there any strength on earth to be found but that which comes from the hand of God. In verse 30, 
God draws this conclusion in his message to his people through Ezekiel. He says, therefore, that's a drawing conclusion word, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. And the emphasis there is according to your own ways. It means you cannot ride the coattails of your Christian parents or grandparents. But listen also to the flip side. Nor should you give up in despair because you think that your background is too far gone. This is between you and the Lord, it says, according to your own ways. Now when we talk about sin and repentance, I think it is good to acknowledge that there are two tendencies among us as we hear these kinds of words. Maybe we'd say two kinds of people who are in the room. Not that we're limited to your this or that. But these are perspectives I run into a lot and so wanted to bring them up to you today. The first kind of person is one who in their conduct, on a whole, really does live a pretty morally upright life. So they're the kind of person, we have some who are here this morning, who really does a good job. They're kind to others. They go out of their way to serve their neighbor. They're the kind of person, stereotypically, who will help the little old lady cross the street. And if that's you, then the invitation for you this morning is you may find yourself needing to more carefully examine your heart, your motives, the inner workings of your mind, your daily walk, to recognize that you too are still a sinner in need of redeeming. I was thinking of this week hearing something like this from Dr. Stephen Beck, our marriage event keynote, who in one class one day, remember his subject area is practical theology, so it's very relevant, the material that he taught. And with a twinkle in his eye, he told us that this person was his wife, Susan. And she'll be there with us too, by the way, that night. He said she's pretty close to perfect. And so repentance and the confession of sin was something that she had to consciously do to think about and carry out. Otherwise, what can happen? You can live under the illusion that you're doing a pretty good job and on God's side. But the Bible tells us something else. It says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That there's no man or woman who can stand. That the human heart, it says in Jeremiah, is desperately sick and in need of healing. We all have to turn around without exception and run back to God. So that's the one response. And maybe that resonates with some of us who are here. I haven't thought a lot about repentance because maybe I have thought I don't have that much to repent of. Let me tell you about the second kind of person, though. That person is seated here today, too. I'm confident of that. And that is the one who knows full well that the heart is sick and that they've fallen short, and you wonder how you could ever make up for it. Your past, your story, maybe your present now, is full of junk. It is not pretty. It's a mess. And you wonder, how could God ever accept you? And this can lead you to one of two places, if this is you. Either to a works righteousness, where you think if you're going to have a chance, then you've got to make up for a lot of squandered years and poor decisions. 
You've got to make up for past mistakes and start earning God's favor. Or the other response, if you're this person, is it will lead you right to the pit of despair. Where you maybe even sit here this morning, sun streaming in through the windows, in a worship service, and you feel like there is little to no hope for you. Your sin is too great. Your background is too bad. Your pedigree is no good. And your struggles are too serious. To these kinds of thoughts, God puts a full stop with the authority of his word. The moral high ground and the moral failure. And he says, it's not complicated, is it? He says, just turn back around. I'm here. Just turn back around and come home. The passage then beautifully summarizes for us what repentance looks like. And we have three distinct pictures, these verbs that are used in verses 30 to 31. And I'll summarize them for us. First, that repentance means turning around. So in reading the passage, Ezekiel says, Repent and turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. There is a necessary turning away from sin. That's what the word literally means, is to turn away from sin. I was going one way. I was carrying this stuff with me. But now I'm leaving it behind. I'm heading back to the right track. You can pick your poison, whatever this looks like, however this has shown up in your life. Materialism. Selfishness. Gossip, anger, lust, pornography, whatever it is. We could write a list with a hundred plus items on it and not exhaust it. But the invitation is to turn around and leave these things behind. I cannot have God and hold on to these things that are destroying me at the same time. Secondly, repentance means Hurling away. Now our NIV translation, the one before us, says rid yourselves, which is fine. But the Hebrew verb actually means to hurl, fling, or throw. Hurl away your offenses, it says. In one of the more bizarre stories from my little life, I want to tell you about when I was 20 and I had moved to Europe, I was freshly arrived, I would walk to German language school Every morning I would buy lunch at like the bakery or the butcher shop, you know, in these little European cities. And so here I was in the Bavarian Alps, and one of these shops had all these fancy cheeses that they would sell. I don't know if you know this, I'm from Wisconsin, so this spoke to my heart. And I thought for my lunch that day, I'm going to, you know, get a little loaf of bread, a little bakery roll, A little sausage, you know, from the butcher shop and one of these beautiful cheeses, blocks of cheese that were out. So, you know, I barely spoke a lick of German at that point. And uh, so I pointed and asked for one that I thought looked really good. And then that morning at the mid-morning break at Language Institute, I decided I was going to try the cheese that I bought for lunch. And so I unpacked, you know, how it comes in that paper and I unrolled it, unpacked it. And within two seconds... The room was so overpowered by a stench that I cannot fully describe to you that other students were running from the room. 
Without knowing it, I had bought, I didn't even know this existed, but it really is out there. I had bought stink cheese. I just didn't know the German word on the card. And I literally ran to the window, third story of this building. I flung the window open and I hurled that block of cheese as far out into the distance as I could. Hurl away your offenses, Ezekiel says. Don't just put them in your back pocket. Don't park them nearby where you could still get back to them. But hurl away the things that separate you from God. That's the picture. And then thirdly, repentance means getting a new heart and a new spirit. And I'm going to kind of save this one because this is a very important picture in Ezekiel that we'll come back to in the weeks ahead. But Ezekiel essentially is saying on this third point, you know, your problem, our problem maybe collectively, let's think for a moment, is not politics or a pandemic. The problem in your family is not poor parenting or whatever it might be. It's not external. Ezekiel says we need a heart transplant, a new heart And that into our dead spiritual life, the spirit of the living God would move and revive us. But as clear and straightforward as scripture is on these things, the necessity of repentance. Culturally, I can tell you that this is not a message we hear very often. And I want to highlight just a a couple examples that I've heard recently on the radio. Do some of you listen to country music? Luke Bryan? Yes? I live in Zimmerman. I know more of you listen to country music than are raising your hands. So I'm listening to this song the other day. Luke Bryan, great performer, great songwriter, and he writes these lyrics. I believe them streets of gold are worth the work. Okay, just pause there. Because as someone who knows the truth of your Bible, when you hear those words... You have to say, Mr. Brian, you're a great singer, a great songwriter, but you're not a very good theologian. This is not true. This is works righteousness. He says, I believe in streets of gold are worth the work. I'm going to earn my way there. I'm going to live a good enough life. But I'd still want to go even if they were paved in dirt. Now, I frankly don't know what that line means. I don't know if you could figure it out. Maybe it's just because it rhymed. It sounded good. And then the title of this song, I Believe Most People Are Good. This is the common message that we hear, at least where we live. 21st century America, where you and I are. You know, the general consensus is we might be a little flawed. Yeah, nobody's perfect. But most people are good. And the idea of repentance never shows up in his song. I want to share one more example with you and just show you how prevalent this is. We could look at TV shows or movies, magazines. We're just going to stick with songs this morning. Do you know what is now the number one billboard song of all time? It used to be Chubby Checker's The Twist from 1960. And it was just surpassed by the song Blinding Lights by The Weeknd. So the song I want to share with you is from his most recent album, The Weeknd. Some of you watched the pandemic Super Bowl last year. He did the halftime show. 
his new album. It's called Dawn FM. And the closing song is called Phantom Regret. Oddly enough, narrated by his real-life neighbor in Canada, Jim Carrey. And here's how this song goes. God knows life is chaos, but he made one thing true. You've got to unwind your mind, train your soul to align, and dance till you find that divine boogaloo. What? In other words, you've got to be heaven to see heaven. Now, this is not the works righteousness of Luke Bryan, is it? It might look that way. Our lens, you've got to be heaven to see heaven. I've got to behave well enough. That's not what he is saying. This is Eastern mysticism. This is nirvana. This is Hinduism. That the problem is up here and i just got to unwind it. I've got to escape. This song, by the way, finishes. The last words of this album are these words. May peace be with you. But that's not peace, these words. It's a death sentence. It is a lifetime of chasing after the wind. It is despair. Just look at the life of Abel Tesfe. That's his name, The weekend. He is tortured. This does not work. He needs to know the Lord. So a couple examples. Keep your ears and your eyes open and you'll see them all around you. I want to move into the closing couple of verses of this passage. And here, you know, we've gone through this maybe more of a logical presentation to begin with. It now becomes a, an impassioned plea from Ezekiel. You can see his heart for his people that they would know the Lord. Verse 31. Why will you die, people of Israel? And I just imagined him like shouting that into the wind. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. And then these closing lines, the title of our message this morning, Repent and Live. That is the call, the invitation to each one of us today. God longs to bestow life on his people. If only we will turn around and receive it. So I want to draw four truths from Ezekiel 18. Four truths that we see, not just in these verses, but throughout the 18th chapter. Number one, personalize these. Think about which one of these do you need to hear this morning. My fate is not someone else's fault. Positively or negatively. This is between you and the Lord. Number two, I am not held captive by the decisions of my past. You aren't. Some of you came in here this morning in bondage to the things of your past, wondering if there's ever going to be a chance for you, if you could ever turn it around, and you are not stuck there. Number three, God is always fair and just. It's his very nature, unchanging. And number four, his purpose for you is salvation and life. It is not judgment in death. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And where's your heart at this morning? 
Are we a people who will acknowledge? I want to repent and live. I got some stuff I just need to acknowledge. I need to put out on the table and say, Lord, I don't want it anymore. It's killing me. I can't stay here. I need your forgiveness. And God is not going to make you crawl on your hands and knees and grovel back to the right path. But he's like that father waiting for the prodigal son. Repent and live. It is that simple this morning. Sin and judgment do not have to have the final word in your life. The door is wide open. So our worship team comes forward. We're going to sing a great song, a song that's been important in my family's life. It's called No Longer Slaves. And if here there is a spirit of slavery that is lingering for any one of us, let's just pray about it. Let's pause, let's bow our heads and come before the Lord. Lord, you invite us in. In fact, Lord, you come looking for us. You come calling us. And this morning, Lord, we, in the spirit of this passage, want to be a people whose hearts are humble before you. People who let go of our pride as we sang this morning. Lord, you know us through and through. You know the sin of our life, Lord, that runs deeper than we even know ourselves. So we sing our song to you, Lord, this morning. We ask that you'd search our hearts and by the blood of Jesus, that you would put us back on a good path in relationship with you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.